yeah, okay. I think I, um, you've probably had emails and seen the advertising about the conference. Please do uh, book. Uh, please do tell other people to book. Please do take cards. Um, walking with God. I don't know if, you, if you're on Facebook. You may not be on Facebook. I don't know. But I posted something this week because I watched a movie called um, Sheep Among Wolves. There are two videos on, um, on YouTube. They're free. Uh, one is an hour long and the other is an, nearly two hours long. They're both by the same people, uh, Christians. And they, it's not a, not a fiction film. It's, a, it's the account of the gospel ministry in Iran and other Middle East countries. And it is so challenging and so exciting I honestly, if you've got a computer and you can get onto YouTube, get onto it and look at it. The, it's, well, there's, there's one that's an hour long and there's one that's just under two hours long. Uh, they're both slightly different, but if you only watch one, watch the two-hour one. Um, it's just amazing. And it, I mean, I was in tears watching it and so challenged, so challenged by... Um, yeah... So challenged. And so, um, sheep, sheep among wolves. And that is a verse taken from Luke's gospel. So it was really like, you know, wow, we're studying Luke's gospel. And there, there it was. Behold, I send you out as sheep among wolves. And I don't know, were we? Okay, I must have mentioned it last week. Ah, oh, Sheila, yeah. So anyway, I watched it, and I um, and one of the things that he says in the second one, the longer one, he talks about a couple, Iranian couple, that moved to the America, and they moved to America, and after a very short time, the wife said to the husband, "I want them Christians. I want to go back to Iran." And he said, "What do you mean? You, you know, that's crazy. The Iranian." government is cracking down on Christians, you can't uh, be a Christian in Iran, and uh, there's massive persecution, etc., etc. And she said, and I'll never forget this phrase, she said, there is a satanic lullaby playing in the West, and we are all in danger of falling asleep. And it was just so into my heart, I knew that that was God speaking. There is a satanic lullaby mm. being sung to us, and we are listening to it. We are, um, we are forgetting that we're in a war zone, and we are forgetting what we're here for. We are not here for ourselves. We're not here to enjoy this life, although we live in a place where we can enjoy it. Praise God for his blessings. We are here to preach the gospel and to disciple people in the word of God. And there is no other purpose for your life. None. That is the purpose of your existence. You are here for God to preach his word, his gospel and his word. And I can hear that song, that satanic lullaby. I can almost hear it. You know, as you, as you go about your daily business, you can hear it. So, so all, you know, all of that to say, watch the, watch the videos. They are amazing. If you, as I say, if you can only watch one, watch the longer one. Don't watch it at night. You won't get to sleep. Uh, it's, there's nothing... Uh, hit, there's no violence on it. You don't see any violence or... 
Uh, but the, yeah, anyway, so just do watch that. And think about these last three conferences. As I said last week, they are linked. They, they do stand alone, but they're linked. They are so important. They're so important. I cannot tell you how important they are. I feel it in my bones. They really are important. And, you know, not just for you. You're studying the word, you know. But we all of us are succumbing to that lullaby. We all of us are. We've come through a wonderful summer. We've all been on holiday. We've all had a nice time. We're all thinking about the next holiday and what we're going to do at the weekend and how our families are, etc., etc. And we are forgetting the purpose of our lives. It's just being submerged. Go ahead, Alan. I've got a couple of church that are raining and they're waiting for the British government to you yeah. 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 So, anyway, so Father, thank you that um, we are free to read your word, to speak yes. your word, to talk to one another, to pray in public. We are free to do that. We can. Uh, we are not yet persecuted by our government so much that we cannot even meet together. We have this beautiful place. It's we have this this uh, uh, enabling to come together and to help one another and to uh, strengthen one another and then to be used by you. And Lord, I pray that you would just quicken our hearts, Lord, so that we hear your voice, so that we really don't turn away, that we uh, don't fall asleep with the singing of this lullaby and that we actually make sure that we stay awake and that we stay alert and we're aware of the fact that you are walking with us and yes. you want to guide our steps. And Lord, I pray that you would help us today as we look at the next little part of Luke, that you would speak to us clearly, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be covering the first three chapters of Luke in the next two sessions. So um, in this one, we're going to predominantly talk about chapter one. Um, so uh, I, I want to read the whole of chapter 1, if that's okay, so, but to do it relatively quickly. So if we could just start at verse 1, Luke chapter 1, verse 1. There are 80 verses in the first chapter. So um, yeah. if you just read 5 or 6 and then pass it on and we'll get through it. So... serving as priest before God when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord 
and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at that hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall, be, shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or, or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Mm. Zachariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zechariah and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favour upon me to take away his grace among men. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. <coughs> And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, sorry. 
Uh, now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing it will be impossible. Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice, and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfilment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation, towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, that he should be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. And fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty saviour in the royal line of his servant, David. Just as he promised, though his only prophet, through his only prophet, 
laten ze zeggen, dan moet je obies zijn van mijn element. En van mijn eten. Met mijn bloed en mensen. Maar we hebben niet zeker komen. We komen niet voor mijn arm. En dat daar even aan. Ik geef het weer een En de huis en watjes. Voor het weer. En nu man is er staan. Maar we de profit of the most high. Because he will prepare the way for the Lord, and he will tell his people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit. He lived in the desert until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Thank you. Long chapter. Um, and uh, lots in it. So, um, who's, who's Luke writing to? He's writing to Theophilus. And why is he writing to him? Yeah, so that he'll know the exact truth of the things he's heard. So, uh, what do we make of that then? No. So, the things that he's heard, he's that he's writing to Theophilus, so that Theophilus will make the ex- uh, know the exact truth of what he's heard. Yeah. Uh, what relevance does that for, have for us? Well, we know it's true. Yeah. So we know it's true, but. Yeah, gives us the details as well, and go uh, kind of a bit broader. Oh, that's all true, but go just a little bit broader. Yeah. Yeah. No, but you were. I think you were going to say that God entered the world to help us to know the exact truth of things that we might have heard. Yeah, that's true too. But but think about it in terms of what I said earlier on. I said your purpose on this planet is to preach the gospel and to disciple those who believe. And that is the gospel of Luke. Preach the gospel and disciple those who believe. Luke's writing to Theophilus, a believer, and he's saying, I want you to know the exact truth of what you've heard. When you heard the gospel, you heard that Jesus died for your sins. You heard that he's the only way to God. You believed that gospel, right? That he was... He was he died, he was buried, he was resurrected for you, that he is now at the right hand of the throne of God. And so Luke's saying... I want you to know all the details of that. Okay, so this is not just for Theophilus. This is for me and for you. It's for every believer that we might know the exact details of what we've heard. So, I mean, how important did God, who wrote this through Luke, think discipleship was? How important did he think knowing truth the details, the truth, the exact truth of what you heard. How important did he think that was? 
<laughs> it's like very important. He's written the longest book in the New Testament. Yeah. Because he wants us to know the exact details of what we've believed. There is no shortcut to knowing the truth about God. You have to be in Bible study. You have to read the Bible. You can't know the truth by osmosis. And it doesn't matter that you have the Holy Spirit. I mean, it does matter that you have the Holy Spirit. Do you know what I mean? But the Holy Spirit works with the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God and the Spirit of truth. Jesus is God, he is the Son of God, and he is the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God, the Spirit and Christ together give us the understanding of the truth which we have already believed. There's, I can't tell you, you know what I think about it, because here I am. But this is so important. There are millions of Christians running around in the Western world not knowing the truth of what they've heard and put their trust in. And because they don't know the truth, they are all over the place, all over the place, following after doctrines of demons, following after myths and fables, wasting their life, wasting their life, and maybe their eternity, I don't know. I do know is that God wanted us to know the exact truth yeah. of everything we have heard and I want to know the exact truth. So Luke begins that way um, and he's, he's going to provide loads and loads of details and you can see that in this 80 verse first chapter. He has provided so many details. There's, there's stuff in there that really you might think if you were going to write this gospel you wouldn't bother to include but he's included it. And um, and so uh, God wants us to have a full and complete knowledge of what happened. He wants us to understand all the reasons and how it came about, and what happened and what he put into place. So um, the gospel, as I say, it provides all these details. The first, in the first few chapters, I think in the homework I asked you to read the first three chapters, um, can, can you remember, just off the top of your head, or if your Bible's got highlighted uh, titles, what are the um, what do you find in the first three chapters? I know we've only read the first one, but what do you find in the first three? What does Luke detail in the first three? Yes, the fulfilment of what was prophesied. So, what was prophesied? What have we just talked about in the chapter one? It's the promise of the birth of John the Baptist. 
Okay, that's the first thing that he talks about. That an angel came to Zacharias and promised that his wife would have a son and that he would be the forerunner of Elijah. So we're going to look at all of that in detail. So, but the first thing is Luke wanted to say this is the fulfillment of prophecy and he talks about the promise, the, the prophecy of the birth of John the Baptist. Um, how does the Old Testament end? Do you know? Malachi. Malachi. Yeah. yeah. Just quickly whip to Malachi if you can. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Um, and Luke reports to us that the angel says that to Zechariah. Zechariah. He says... Um, uh, where are we? Don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard and your wife Elizabeth, uh, so, sorry, go down a bit, for he will be great in the sight of God and he will drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 17, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the, ch of, of the fathers back to the children. So... Um, Luke, even in this first chapter, is going to talk about this promise of God that there would be a forerunner to Messiah and, and, uh, and that here he is. He is the son of Zacharias. He is uh, John the Baptist. So what did John the Baptist's ministry do, actually? It prepared the way for Jesus and? Smooth the path. Yeah. Yeah. And? Yeah. In the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But what did John do? I mean, in the first three, yeah, he stirred people's hearts because he was telling them Messiah's coming, the Christ is coming, the Savior is coming, and actually, his crying out authenticates Jesus when he comes. We're not looking at that today, but but he's going to authenticate. This is the Christ. And I'm the one who's been sent to proclaim him. So I'm a, I want to ask you a question. You know, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And, and he's going to come back for us first. And when he does, that's it. You won't have time to be saying to people, Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming, Christ is coming, repent and believe. Because it will all, when he's gone, when you're gone, that's it. Your voice is closed. So now, what is it we are supposed to be doing? We are supposed to be speaking out. Christ is coming. He's come once, but he's coming again. And when he comes, he will come. It will be a great and terrible day. A great and a terrible day. It will be great for believers and terrible for unbelievers. When he comes for his church, it will be a wonderful, great day. When he comes at the end of the tribulation, it will be a terrible day day for unbelievers. So, go ahead. Go ahead, Debbie. I was just going to say, uh, the spirit and power of Elijah, of course, Elijah was, uh, Jezebel was after him, mm. and John had his head chopped off. Yes. And I think when the church really rises up in the yeah. spirit and power of Elijah, Elijah. Yeah. persecution, and we, we fearful, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons yeah. why we don't want to proclaim. Maybe. Maybe. Fearful. No, no. I think that's probably right. I hadn't thought about it in that connection. But yeah, that's, that's probably right. Um, so, so John the Baptist is the forerunner and he is the, he's the promised forerunner. But what do you also see? I, I read it when I read verse 13 
kind of by accident. I should have just gone straight to verse 17. But, but what do you also see? Something about God that we're shown in verse 13. Yeah. See, God has promised someone in the spirit of Elijah, the forerunner of Christ. That's going to happen. But he answers the prayer of Zacharias in order to send the forerunner to Christ Jesus. So we talked a lot about prayer. We did all that study on prayer through the summer, we, before the summer and then through the summer. And then last week we talked about prayer again. Can you see how God, in a way that only God can, marries the fulfillment of his prophecies with the prayers of his people? Yeah. I mean, to me, that's just incredible. He's promised this uh, John the Baptist, he's, uh, we will give him his name, he's promised this child who will go and, and witness and, and uh, speak about the Messiah who's coming. But he does it, he fulfills it by and through the prayers of his people. That's amazing. Mm. Think about your prayers. Think about your prayers. Mm. God has foreordained what is going to happen. His purposes are set. His plans are set. He is going to do what he is going to do, but he will always do it through the prayers of his people. I, I was blown away when I saw it, first time I'd ever seen it, that he answered the prayer. Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will give him the name John. <laughs> it did take my breath away when I read it, actually. I was thinking about that. So the first thing in Luke's Gospel is the promise of John the Baptist, the promise of the forerunner. Um, the next thing uh, in, in Luke's Gospel is what? What's the next thing we come to? Mary. The promise of the birth of Jesus, the promise of the birth of Christ. So Isaiah 7 verse 14, the Messiah would be born of a virgin. And again here Luke is he's stating, this is what you heard, this is the truth. She, he was born of a virgin and he will be identified, he says in verse 35, as the son of God. This is the Son of God. The angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will, shall be called the Son of God. So, two things. The promise of John, the birth of John the Baptist. The promise of the birth of um, Messiah. And then what else do we get in, in as we're going through? <coughs> Yeah, just chapter one. What's going on in chapter one? What's just big picture? What happens next? Yeah, no, not the details because we want to just the big picture. Because I, I just want to go through these three chapters and think about okay, how does Luke start? So this is the promise of John the Baptist. This is the promise of Messiah. Then we get Mary's Magnificat, they call it Mary's yeah, Song of Praise, that Luke details in this in this gospel. And as you read on, right through chapter 3, you're going to get the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Messiah. You're going to get the witness of the shepherds and the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus visiting as a boy in the temple. All these details that you don't get in other Gospels. All these details that he's going to say. Why does he include all this? We talked about it last week, but why because, does he include it? Because he's writing to Gentiles yeah. who wouldn't understand the Torah. 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. They wouldn't understand the the uh, Torah and the old, yeah, the Old Testament. But why is he including all the details? I mean, yes, that's that's one reason. What's another reason? To show that God cares about details. Yeah, to show that God's in the details too. And that it's yeah. But what does he want us so to know about God Jesus? Yeah, he's doing it in consecutive order, so it's very ordered. But he was Jewish. Yeah, but this is not an ordinary man. This is not an ordinary man. This is not a great teacher. This is not a good man. This is not someone born like you and I are born. This is someone totally and utterly other. This is someone different. This child is the son of God. And in the details of this, that's what he's trying to tell his Gentile readers. Because the Gentiles have no knowledge of God. They have no understanding that he's a personal God. That he relates to people. That he wants people to know him. That he wants people to love him. The Gentile pagan religions were completely alien to that. There was no notion of a personal God. God was not... They didn't even have a one God. They had millions of gods, all fighting each other and all requiring appeasement and giving only because they got. Luke is trying to show this is not ordinary. And um, I think that he's also trying to show that the gospel hinges on the fact that Jesus is the promised virgin born son if that is not true the whole gospel is falls apart if Christ is not born of a virgin then he is not Christ if he's not born of a virgin then God is a liar if he is not born of Mary then everything none of the rest of it makes any sense what Luke puts in his first chapter and then the subsequent chapters where in the fulfillment of the promises is crucial to the gospel. Crucial. So it's all the other things. It's spoken to Gentiles who don't know God. It's all the full details of what, what they've heard, what they might hear. But it is also the, the, the absolute rock-solid confirmation that this man called Jesus is God in the flesh. He is God. What was the situation in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago? What was it like? And how similar is it to our world? It was an occupying power. Mm -hmm. What was going on in the whole Roman world? Not just in Israel, but you know, what, what were the times like? It was almost like a police state. Yeah, police state, almost. Mm. Yeah, very strong culture. Very strong. Yeah, yeah. So the culture of the Romans, the empire, was an, an imposed culture. That's what I wanted. The Greeks had done that before them, and the Romans continued it. Uh, the Roman Empire in Daniel is called, when he likens it to beasts, he talks about the four beasts that, that will come after the Babylonians, and he likens the Roman Empire, he can't liken it to any animal he knows, and he calls it a dreadful, terrifying, and extremely strong beast because he cannot put a name to it. All the other empires he calls a bear or a lion or uh, but but this last empire he cannot name. It's just dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong. 
And why, why does he describe it that way? What was the Roman Empire epitomised by? Violence. Violence, Violence. and force. That's the... That's, uh, fear. Fear. So there was sickness, there was death, there was war, there was abuse, there was slavery, there was people who struggled just to make ends meet, there were people who were oppressed, there were people who were under the control of occupying forces. So what are the similarities to our world? All of it. All of it. There's not one thing about the Roman Empire that you cannot transplant to our day. Our day is a day of violence. It's a day of wickedness. It's a day of license. It's a day when anything can happen if you're in power. You know, they had vomitorians in, in the Roman Empire where people would eat so much at the feast that they had a place designated where they could go and throw up and then go back and eat some more. It was a, it was a, a day, an empire of excess. Excess. There was homosexuality. There was every sort of Im immorality you can imagine. The gods had, you know, prostitutes at the temples. They had every, every sort of wickedness you can think of was happening in the Roman Empire. So now think about it, because not every culture has been like that through the world. Yes, the world has always been wicked. In Genesis, God looks at the world and said, I can't stand the wickedness of men any longer. <coughs> it's always been wicked. There's always been trouble. But the culture itself was exactly as the culture of our day. Oh, it is. But that culture has been exported all over. So the... The, uh, even if you look at the communist culture in China or in Russia as it was or in the Eastern Bloc yeah and also but they're also built on abuse and war and oppression and wickedness and it's just that it's not reported quite as freely perhaps as is in our um, so th the, th the thing that I wanted to think about really is Christ came God came in that culture he came into that despicable, wicked, terrible culture to show who God is. And he has left us here in this wicked, despicable culture to show who God is. And insofar as we separate ourselves from this culture, we actually accurately witness to who Christ is. If we go along with this culture in any way, shape, or form, we actually defame the name of Jesus. That's, that's just been hitting me for a long time, but more, maybe more recently as I've been trying to take a look at Luke's Gospel, that we aren't here to represent the king. He is the king. We are. We are here to represent Christ, to represent the Son of God, to represent the Son of Man. And we cannot be involved in our culture. We cannot get embroiled in all of the stuff. Now that comes in every which way. It's, it's, it's what you talk about with your neighbours. It's, 
It's what you watch on the TV. It's what you listen to. It's, 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 it's your family life, how that works itself out. It's, it's whether you have to um, always have the last word or whether you've always got to be understood or whether, you've, w- whether you criticise another person because they don't understand you and, and they should. And It's all of those tiny things. It's, 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 it's whether you're able to remain silent in the face of your accusers, in the face of those who offend you or seek to do you down. Can you stand as Christ stood? Can you, go, can you live in this world holy as he lived? Because he says he's given us his spirit and this world needs to see him. They don't need to see you. They don't need to see a good person. They need to see Christ. Okay, so um, the Roman world was like our world. It was exactly the same, and it was people with people like us, people like us, PLUs, people like us. That's who lived in the Roman Empire. And God decided that that time he was going to take on flesh and he was going to come and reveal himself. And though, though the world was under the power of the prince of the power of the air, although the world was under the power of Satan... Um, nevertheless, God broke through that and, um, and made the way of salvation. And even though our world is under the power of the enemy, God has broken through. And now he's broken through in you. And you have all authority to speak his word, to preach his word and to live his word. That's what he left you here to do. Uh, so, um, okay, I, I could say a lot more, but I think probably I better, for the sake of time, I better move on. Um, what happens in a world that was like the Roman Empire? What happens in a world like ours? What goes alongside the wickedness and the abuse and the wars and the slavery and all of that? What's the predominant overwhelming characteristic of um, people who have no power in that culture. What, what does that tend to do? Well, make them fearful. Make them fearful and? Oppression. oppression and what's the, what's the feeling that oppression brings about? Depression. 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 depression comes from oppression of any kind. Depression. What else? Rebellion. 
Mm, I think the whole culture is rebellious because I think sin has just drawn us in and drawn us in and drawn us in and so that's created a rebellion. But what's the individual human feeling? If you live, for example, now in North Korea, what is your over... No hope. There is no hope. There's no hope. There's fear. There's no hope. Even in people who... um, who have been a part of that culture, are a part of that culture, at some point in everybody's life, there is this understanding that there is something else, that there's something else, that there's someone else, there's a power beyond me, there's something. And that's the point that Christ entered. He came and said, I'm God and here I am. And that's why we're here to say there is hope there is joy, there is an antidote to depression, there is an antidote to anxiety and fear, there is a way out of the, the whatever it is, the, can't think of the word, the hopelessness of this life. And, um, and the thing that makes me really, made me really think about it was, when you look back through history, everybody has looked for that. There's not a single person in the entire world who hasn't had the understanding either of their hopelessness or their lack of control or their, the oppression of whatever it is, no matter the richest person, no matter the most powerful person, at one point in their life they will have that understanding that actually they cannot control life itself and that one day they will die. They will die. And nothing has changed. Technology doesn't change it. They're looking for a way to keep people alive forever, but they still haven't found it. Everything in our world is massively, exponentially exploding. Cancer, with my my sister and um, Keith and Christine's daughter, cancer affects one in two people. One in two. When I grew up, it was one in five. 20 years ago, it was one in three. Now it's one in two. One in two, that's a picture of sin, if ever you see it. It's like this, this gangrene that's taking over the entire world. And there's hopelessness in that and depression in that. And that's why Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life abundant. So um, to, to every person who's got no hope, Jesus is going to say, here, I'm, here I am. I am the hope of the world. I am the, uh, the way to a new life. And that's what Luke's Gospel's about. It's about Christ being the way to a life that is worth living. So um, let's go back to the beginning then. Um, Zacharias is a pre- priest. He lives in a hillside town in Judea. And except for two weeks a year... Um, when he's, he's on duty in Jerusalem, um, and this is the two weeks. Luke, Luke is talking about the two weeks when he's gone to Jerusalem to do something in the temple. It's his turn to uh, burn the incense. And what happens when he goes into the temple to burn the incense? An angel, An angel appears to him. And what is um, Zachariah's uh, response to the angel? Fear. Fear gripped him. We can all all identify with that. Yeah, well, fear grips him first. And what does the angel say? 
Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's like, okay, sh- okay, now I won't be afraid. There's this huge angel standing beside me, but I'm not going to be afraid. And the angel says to him what? Yeah. yeah. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. Right. And you'll give him the name John. Right. What's John's response? Zachariah's response. Oh, sorry, Zachariah's response. How will I know this for certain? How will I know it for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And what's the angel's response to that? I am Gabriel. The Lord's here, so to speak. Right, yeah. Yeah. I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. So, um, uh, and then we get the, uh, and behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day because you did not believe my words. I always find this quite tricky, you know. I mean, I don't know how old they were exactly, but obviously she's, his wife is old, too old to bear children. And suddenly this angel appears and tells Zacharias he's going to have this child. And, mm. and I, I would say probably 99% of people would say, well, how can I know that, you know? Yeah. Um, but obviously there was something more in his, how can I know that for certain? Because when Mary had says very similar things, the response yeah. by the by Gabriel is totally different. Yeah, so yeah. there must be more in his, how can I know this for certain? Yeah. And probably it's to do with the fact that he's a priest yeah. being allowed into the temple to burn the incense. He knows that there's going to be a forerunner for Messiah. Yeah. He knows that Elijah is supposed yeah. to come. He knows he's prayed for his son. Does he not believe that God will answer his prayers? Do you see what I mean? It's like there's a lot in there that we don't know. Hello, Gwen. How are you? You made it. I love to see you walk and not have your bike, I have to say. So, um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. He was a, he was a priest. He, mm. you know, there was a faith issue. Yeah. For Mary, a young woman, she was a, a teenager, really yeah. a virgin. Her, it was a very practical thought. Yeah. How can I be pregnant? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Very, exactly. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Thanks, Toby. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. How can I know this for certain? Yeah. Maybe he's asking for a sign. Joel's saying here that maybe in that there's the. Yeah, like Hezekiah or Gideon, even like laying the fleece. Yeah, maybe there's something in that. I don't know. Um, yeah. Um, so um, we know because we've just talked about it. But even if you go on in Luke, you can see that there's a great need for this man who's going to come, this Zacharias, who's going to come and prepare the way for Jesus. Um, but even so, Zacharias must have known the desperation in Israel at the time. But he's still unsure and uncertain about... Yeah, I think that's actually... I hadn't really thought of that, Jill. I think that might be... I hadn't thought about that before, but asking for a sign as well. Okay, so um, after months of silence, uh, the day comes. And uh, and when the day comes... um, 
for uh, his his wife to give birth. What's Zacharias when he his tongue is loosened, his mouth is opened? What's his response? He praised God. He praised God, um, uh, which we'll look at in a little bit. So then, after that, verse twenty six, we pick it up. A, the Gabriel has another announcement to make, and he goes to Mary, and um, some months later, and um, what does he say to Mary? Well, what's her name, Mary? What does it mean? Do you know in in uh, Hebrew and in Greek? Uh, well, it just the, literally the name is Miriam in Hebrew and Mariam in Greek, which I think is quite interesting. I don't know why I think that's interesting, but Miriam particularly in Hebrew. So she's startled and she's a bit upset at the angel's presence. And um, But what does the angel say to... Um, to, uh, to Mary. Greetings, favorite one. Mm. The Lord is with you. Yeah. Yeah. So don't be afraid. Reassurance. Yeah. So he gives a reassurance. Yeah. Reassurance of what? The Lord is with yeah, you. Yeah, the Lord is with you. And mm-hmm. and what else? The, the, the phrase uh, um, favored one means richly blessed. Richly blessed. You are richly blessed. So when, you, when an angel from God comes to you and says you're richly blessed, what do you know? Tell me what you know about yourself. God's on your case. <laughs> yeah, God's on your case. I'm not sure that would be blessing always, but I mean, you know, well it is, but you know what I mean. What else do you know? What do you know for sure about yourself? What, what did Mary know in that statement? She didn't need to be afraid. But in the idea that you're richly blessed. Something special is going to happen. But just think about it. You've got an angel coming to you and saying, greetings, woman who is richly blessed. Okay, so we have, supposing this happens for us, not the angel, but we have the word of God. And the word of God tells us we are richly blessed. It actually tells us we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What do you know about God when you hear that? For you. What do you know? You know that God sees you. That he knows you. That he cares about you. That he loves you. That's it. That he wants to reassure you. That he wants you to have peace. That he wants you to have joy. That he wants you to know the blessing that he has for you. See, you know, you look at that and think, favoured one. Yes, Mary was favoured. She was richly blessed. She carried the Son of God in her womb. She gave birth to Jesus. Her name is going to be remembered down through the ages. You know, your name may not be remembered, but you have been richly blessed by God. He sees you. He sees you, every part of you. He cares about you. He loves you. So, um, Mary blurts out the question, what? 
I mean, he tells her that she's... Well, actually, let's read what he says. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he will be great, and we will be called <coughs> the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. What does he tell <coughs> Mary in all of that? I mean... Yeah, she will bear the Messiah. She'll be remembered forever. Yeah. Think about what he says. Look at what he says. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. So first of all, she's going to have a human baby. She's going to have a baby <coughs> that will come from her body. But... He will be, she'll conceive by the Holy Spirit. So this human baby is going to have God as his father. So what's the angel telling her? In your body, humanity and deity are going to perfectly combine. And you will give birth to a child who is at the same time 100% human and 100% God. I know. I know. I know. It is mind-blowing. And what does he do to actually um, confirm the humanity side of Jesus? I mean, what does the angel say to her? He's going to have the throne of his father, David. Yeah. David was a human being. He was a king of Israel. And he had... And, you know, he had, had, he had sons and they had sons and they had sons and they had sons down to Mary and to Joseph. And sh this child would have the line of <coughs> David, a human being, a human being. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, the house of Israel, forever. And his kingdom will have no end. So in the person, in this one person... All the promises of God are going to be fulfilled to mankind in this one person. I think it's interesting that it, it was told to Mary, um, and of course it, it was the, uh, yeah. uh, uh, the other Mary that was the first one to proclaim the gospel. Yeah, it is. It is. It just turned everything on its head. Everything head. upside down. Yeah, everything mm -hmm. upside down. Yeah. So... Zacharias, as we've said, he was godly, immature. He knew the scriptures. He should know uh, that this was to be expected. Of course, he might have had some thoughts about it, but, um, but he should have known that this was true. Mary, young girl, still in her teens, you know, she didn't really hesitate or doubt. Her only doubt was about herself, mm -hmm. not about God. Mm -hmm. And I think from everything that everyone has said, I think we can see that Zacharias doubted that God could do it, rather than the fact that how could she conceive because she, is, um, she was single, you know, she hadn't known a man. So um, what might have happened, you know, what's also uh, notable about Mary's response? I mean, how she responds. What does Mary not say? She didn't refuse. 
Yes, she didn't refuse. Why might she have refused? In her society, there you go. Exactly, ostracized. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Mary didn't refuse. Her questions were not about, well, how am I going to live? What am I going to do? What am I going to do with this baby? Joseph is bound to leave me. As you say, Gwen, you know, I'm going to be ostracized. None of that. Actually, what we'll read in a little while is that she will sing a song of praise to God, that he has blessed her in this way. Now, just take that little vignette, move that to your life, and think about the fact that Jesus lives in you by his spirit. And that's separated you from the people that you live amongst. And so often our fears are things that Mary didn't seem to think about. Mm -hmm. Our fears are, how will people, what will they say about me? Mm -hmm. Aren't they going to leave me out? They're going to call me names. They're going to persecute me. They're going to ridicule me. They're going to scoff at me. And we are so worried (laughs) about the fact that having Christ within us by his spirit has separated us. We're different. Mm. We're not the same as the people we live amongst. Instead of Mary's response, which was a song of praise. How blessed am I that you, God, would do this for me. How blessed am I that Christ would live in me? How amazing is it that he would call me to stand for him in this day? How wonderful is it that he has promised to protect me through the standing? So many things, I think, that Mary didn't worry, she wasn't afraid. She just praised God. And her song is one of the greatest praise songs in the entire Bible. Um, And so we're going to take a cup of coffee and then we're going to come back and look at that song. So, Father, thank you for your... um, Thank you for your word, for the truth of it. Thank you that we can know you through it. Thank you that you're empowering us and enabling us, equipping us. That's what you tell us through Paul, that every word of God, all scripture is God-breathed and suitable for equipping and, I forget the other one, rebuking, uh, (laughs) encouraging, all of exhorting, all of those things, that the person of God may be adequate and equipped for every good deed. And Lord, we thank you for that. And ask now that you would open our minds to hear you speak to us through this chapter in Luke. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, Okay, so... Mary's Magnificat, which um, is magnificent, uh, and Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. 
He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So um, what I'm interested in about Mary and about this song of praise is Mary's only a teenager. She's just heard a startling and amazing announcement and she's received it for herself and accepted it and... um, but Mary obviously already knew God. Yeah. And that really was interesting to me because, you know, sometimes you think you can think of her, she's just a young girl, she doesn't know much, she's not like Zacharias who's in the temple and is a priest. But she obviously knew who God is. And what she does here is it almost, what she knows about God is almost lifted to a higher place. Mm-hmm. And, and so she sings this, this song to him. So I wanted to know what her vision of God was, what she knew about God that she put into this song. Mm. And then I wanted to ask myself, do I know God in this way? Do I know God in this way? So what is her vision of God? Just go through the verses. What is the, um, what's her vision of God? What, if you had to make a list of what she knows about God and what she says about God, He's her saviour. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my saviour. He is my saviour. Even before that, she says, my soul exalts the Lord. So she knows him as Lord. And she knows him as saviour. What else? Just throw them out. What else does, he kn- does she know? He's a mighty one. He's a mighty one. Yeah, he is the mighty one. Yeah. Verse 49, he is the mighty one. He's regard for the humble. Yeah, he has um, regard for the humble. In fact, he lifts up the humble in verse 52. Yeah, he lifts up the humble. What else? Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, he's holy. Holy is his name, verse 49. And verse 52, he's brought down rulers. Yeah, he's brought so down he rulers. Power. He has power. Yeah, he is. He has brought down the rulers. Um, what about even before the um, holy is his name? In that sentence, the mighty one has done great things for me. So that's what Mary knows. She knows he's the mighty one, but she knows that he has also done great things um, for her, and uh, that he is the God who does great things. Holy is his name. Um, what's the next thing? Yeah, no, what's the first 50? His mercy extends to those who fear him, who reverence him. So he is merciful to those who reverence him. He is a God of mercy. He is a mighty God. He is a holy God. He is a saving God. And he is a God of mercy. What's the next thing? She's (coughs) an eternal God because for generation to generation, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He is an eternal God. He is an eternal God because he's merciful upon generation after generation. Um, Yeah. Following on from he is a mighty one who has done great things. Verse 51. 
He has done mighty deeds with his arm, with his strength, basically. He's done mighty deeds. Yeah. And he scatters those who are proud in the thoughts of their hearts. So he, he lifts up the humble and he scatters the proud. He brings down the rulers from their thrones and exalts yeah, the humble. What's... What else? He fills the hungry with good things. And sends away the rich empty-handed. What do you think she means by this? I mean, Mary's singing. This is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Mary knows God. But now, in this song of praise, she is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What do you think the Holy Spirit wants us to understand with, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed? What will Jesus say? That that your riches won't save you. Yeah, your riches won't save you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall be filled. Um, Blessed, uh, sorry, for theirs is the kingdom of the heaven. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. What's the, the comparison here between the hungry and the rich? What's that, what's that symbolic of? Hungry for the word. Hungry for God. Hungry for those who are desperate, who know their condi- condition. Um, the rich in this case, who are they? Exactly. Those that exactly. Those they think they don't need God, that they have enough. Um, lots of other things. I'm sure. Lots of other things. So don't you know? You. I'm sure. But if we think about this and think about this, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is not just that if you're hungry for food, God gives you food, and that if you're rich, He turns you away empty-handed. Although it may be that as well. But it's it's also the underlying conditions. Um, yeah, so um, what's the next thing she says? Help to Israel. He has given help to Israel, his servant. Oh my gosh. Yeah, how has he given help to Israel? Messiah. Messiah is coming, the Savior is coming, the Christ is coming. Um, in remembrance of what? Mercy. His mercy. Yeah. He's been merciful to Israel in the past. Exactly. Yeah, and he's continuing that now. He's been merciful. He is a God of mercy. Um, and um, finally, he's spoken to uh, the, the fathers of mm-hmm. Israel, Abraham. Mm-hmm. So he says, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So what she's saying is, he's given help to Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke before. So what's she talking about? She's talking about the covenant that he made, that in your seed all nations will be blessed. Here is the Messiah, yeah. You think she can only gain knowledge for her father? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think she's gained it through her father. Um, I mean, I think it's notable that her fa- her parents don't disown her. Um, I think she's obviously 
someone who really knows God. So she knows these. She knows, for example, that God is merciful. She knows, you know. So I, I think that she's experienced that in her life, rather than it just being something on the page that someone's told her. Um, yeah, I yeah, but I think she must have learned it through her parents and through her general upbringing. You know, grandparents. You know, generally. Um, God must be um, yeah, I think so. Um, I think that's a difficult one, Alan, actually, because I think God blesses us though we don't deserve blessing. And But I think the picture we have of Mary is someone who knew God before this um, and someone God used mightily. You know, she is a virgin, so she's pure. Um, she's she's of the priestly line of Aaron, so um, so her family must have been people who lived according to the law and the covenants. So, yeah, but um, yeah, but I think that God blesses people anyway. I mean, He blessed you and me, so um, and we didn't deserve that blessing. I didn't deserve that blessing. So when he opened my eyes, as he's opened Mary's eyes, I didn't deserve any of that, yet he did that. So It's tricky though, isn't it? Because we look at people where God has used yeah. them in the Bible and we yeah. want to think that they're special. Yeah, exactly. 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 we can all recognise that they were special in the sense of yeah. being part of the story that God mm. gave us in his word. I think, I mean, that's how the, the Catholics have made Definitely. them special. Definitely, yeah. You can understand why they yeah. think that. Yeah, um, because she was definitely for what he said to her, but yeah. not special in the sense that we no. can't also no. experience that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. It's a tricky one, isn't it? It's it's really, um, but I think yeah, humanly speaking, I think she received. She must have heard these things, and I think there there is. You can see that there is um, a type of righteousness in Israel that there were people who wanted God. Who, who looked forward to the coming Messiah, who believed that there was a Messiah coming. And that's what God called righteous, if you believed him. So, um, yeah. She must have known uh, by the scripture about that um, God was going to send his son through mm. a virgin mm. Mm. and would have perhaps yes, you know, been thinking about that herself. Yeah. Yeah, I think that might be a step too far. I'm not sure because I think as a woman and as a young woman, she might not have had that understanding. I do think that her family probably played a part. And yeah, maybe she does. I don't know. Maybe she does. But her initial reaction is, how can that be since I am a virgin? Yeah. So it's like... If she knew that there was going to be a virgin who gave birth to a son and she actually f made that physical, like that would really happen, that wasn't just spiritual, why is she asking that question? Because, do you know what I mean? She should be prepared for it. But I'm not trying to detract from her. You know, I think that she is a remarkable person in the way that she responded. Um, uh, yeah. So, if you had to sum up, how does Mary um, describe God? How does she? What does she know him to be? Lord and Savior. Yeah, Lord and Savior. Definitely that. God is, and and God actually says in His Word, there is no Savior but Me, in the Old Testament. Uh, there is no Savior but Me. 
So she knows him to be saviour and she knows him to be Lord. She knows him to be powerful. She knows that this God is powerful and that he has concern for people. Yeah. So, so it's a kind of, it's, it's an irresistible combination, don't you think? That you have this almighty God who can do anything at any time, who is so powerful, he created the universe, which she undoubtedly believed, um, and yet he is a God who individually cares for people. And that is irresistible. Is it not irresistible? And and yeah, and I think what she does in her song of praise is that she puts the two things together. She puts the power and the mercy and the grace of God together in her song. And um, that's interesting to me because Jesus will be described as being full of grace and truth. So her song is full of grace and truth. Um, he's powerful. His death and resurrection overcame the entire work of Satan, and yet he was graciously speaking to every person, no matter who they were. Um, so, um, maybe actually that in her song, you kind of get an understanding of why she might have responded so quickly to Gabriel because she already knew God to be this God. Yes, he's, yes, the Holy Spirit is inspiring her. Yes, um, it's filled out for her now. But um, I think she had a clear vision of who God is. Um, what does Luke tell us, though, through, by including this? I mean, God's including it through Luke, but what's he telling you and me through this? Right, in, but in what way? So what, what do you think Luke, who's writing to the Gentiles, would want us to, no, to know from this little account of Mary? I mean, who is Mary? She's a nobody. She's a nobody. What else? Absolutely. So what do you think Luke wants us to know from that? We'll leave the angels out, but from the rest of it, what do you think he is, is? This is an inclusive God, and it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how lowly you are. It doesn't matter how high you are. It only matters, do you want God? Do you want God? Because he wants you, whoever you are. So he's preparing us in a that um, we could possibly be one of the people he's going to target. It is a target, I think. You've been targeted, Barbara. <laughs> oh, on the list. <laughs> you have already been targeted by God. He saw you before the foundation of the world, and he knew who you were before then, and he loved you with an overwhelming, never-ending love. And he has decided to take up residence within you and to use you for his glory. Yeah. That's what he did with Mary. Yeah. He decided to take up residence in her. And that's what he did with you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. All of us here. All of us. They has taken up residence within us. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter who we are. Go ahead, Wendy. Last week I 
yeah. God used mm. him to write this gospel the way he did it. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And the thing is, that the wonderful thing is that God knows us from the inside. No one else knows us from the inside. Only God. Even we don't know ourselves fully. Yet he does and still uses us and yeah. still decided to take up residence. And that's an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. So I think Luke is really wanting to tell us that any person, no matter who you are, no matter how small, no matter how big, no matter how clever, no matter how uneducated, every person can have this relationship with this God, yeah. this great and powerful and mighty God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose my question was, um, do we know God this way? Do you know God this way? Do I know God this way? Um, do I know him to be the God that Mary knew? Um, because, you know, we live in a day when that's really important. It was important then and it's important now. That those of us who represent him actually know who he is. Um, so let's just uh, we'll move on so um, and Mary stayed with her she's with Elizabeth and then for about three months and then returned to her home now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth oh oh, sorry we went through that didn't we and we talked um, and they made signs to his father about why he wanted him called and he asked for a tablet and his name is John and they were all astonished and at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he began to praise, speak in praise of God and fear came on all those living around them and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept in mind saying, what then will this child turn out to be for the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. So, um, and then we get Zacharias's praise song, his pray, his song of praise, yeah, to and prophecy, yeah, to um, to the Lord. And uh, what what Luke is very careful to point out, I think, is that 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 people heard about this story. They heard about Elizabeth, the barren woman who'd had the child. They heard about Zacharias <coughs> not being able to speak until the child is born. They heard that Elizabeth had pronounced his name to be John and then Zacharias saying his name will be John. They heard about all of that. And the response was what? Fear. Fear came upon all of them. and uh, Sorry, on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in Judea. So this was not something that didn't have effect. It had effect. John the Baptist, the, the, the promise of his birth and then the birth and all the details of it had effect all around them. And people were afraid. They were afraid. Why were they afraid? Because they weren't sure what was going to happen. Because they didn't know what was going on. I think the power, I think that maybe the power of God, the understanding that this at least is being talked about as the fulfillment of the prophecy in Malachi, that before the day of the Lord there's going to be uh, a forerunner in the spirit of Elijah. So there's all of this going on. But also I think this fear of what we cannot explain. Yeah. 
what we cannot explain. This is a miracle that's happening. A barren woman going to have a child in her old age. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that God is going to fulfill the prophecy that he spoke 400 years ago, 500 years ago, through Malachi. He's going to fulfill this uh, prophecy. And I think that when we can't understand something with our rational mind, it makes us afraid. And I think that's good for us to remember because a lot of people won't believe because there's a slight fear in there because they can't understand it and explain it. This is miraculous and, and they can't really explain it. A virgin teenager is, is, conceives of a child by the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's just ridiculous to our human mind. So... What do you think is required when we're speaking the gospel, when we're saying there were prophecies of Christ or of God that were, were fulfilled before and at the birth of Jesus, when we're trying to tell people that he is both man and God, that, he, that Mary was a virgin, that the Holy Spirit conceived, that, that Jesus is the Son of God, when we're trying to give people the gospel, and they're not understanding. What do we? What has to be happening? I mean, you're speaking the words, but what must also be happening? God has to be at work by His Spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If the Spirit of God is not accompanying the Word of God, you will not have any power. There'll be yeah. no conversion. You might know the facts of the gospel but there'll be no power. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts. It's the Holy Spirit who converts. It's the Holy Spirit who takes your words and gives them life. So if that's true, what are you going to do about that? Make sure you've got the truth in your... Make sure you know the truth and... Yes, be filled with the Spirit. That means be constantly under the control of the Spirit. So as he shows you something, what else? Pray. You're going to pray. You're going to pray for the, for the thing that God's promised. He's promised people will come to salvation through the preaching of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it. It's the power of salvation to everyone who believes. And how will they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear unless someone is sent? So there is this promise of God that if you preach, if you speak the gospel, he will be at work in that gospel. But what's he wanting you to do? What did Zacharias do? Zacharias prayed for the promise of God. He or, he prayed for God to do something in his own life. I don't think he knew he was going to have um, John the Baptist, but he prayed and God answered his prayer by fulfilling the promise. So when you're praying for people, what are you praying? Yeah, towards them. Yeah, God will open their hearts. Why are you praying these things? Yeah, because he said he'll do that and he will open hearts. What happens before the Spirit of God is there? You're dead. You're dead without the Spirit of God. People around you who don't know Christ, they're dead. They're dead spiritually and they need life. You haven't got life to give them. 
Only God can give them life. But the channel he gives it through is the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as you're giving the gospel, before, during and after, we're praying, Lord, take what I'm saying and fill it with life. Take what I'm saying and fill it with power because these people are dead. They're dead and they will be dead for eternity unless you move through these words. It's, yeah. And I think we have two, we have Mary's song and we have Zacharias who praises. And it is this understanding of who God is and what he's done that have brought about the things that they are now going to experience. You want to see people saved? Pray. You, wanna, you want to see people come to life? Pray. It's, it's all, know the word as Barbara said. Make sure you know what to say when you're in front of them and then pray. Pray. Pray for the power of God to be present. Even if you don't feel it, that the power of God, the spirit of God will be present in the words that you say. I heard something, um, I wish it were mine, but I'm going to steal it, so I'm stealing it. That even at creation, God worked in the same way. He always works in the same way. In creation, the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the, of the deep. And God spoke. The word of God and the spirit of God, always together. Always together. It's the Spirit of God who takes the Word of God and makes things real. When you speak the Gospel, they're just words unless the Holy Spirit speaks in power. So all of the time there's this constant understanding. Pray, pray, know the truth, pray the truth, live the truth, all of it. Just um, ask the Lord to do what you can't do. So um, Zacharias, he sings this, uh, he prophesies actually. Um, That's yes. it. That's it. That no, there is, a cost. there is a cost. There's an immense cost. And yeah, and I mean, that's the reality. You enter a war. I've said that before. As soon as you put your trust in Jesus, you're thrown into a war you didn't even know was going on. And it's a, it's, it's, it's life and death. It's not your life and death because you're given eternal life spiritually. But it is a hard-fought war and the battle's raging and it's coming yes. at us. The enemy's coming at us from every side. It's coming at us even from within the body of Christ. There's this massive battle going on. Do we yeah. always know which what? is the spirit and which is the enemy? Um, I think there are ways you can test. Um, I mean, the spirit is a spirit of truth and the enemy is the father of lies. So... You know, um, I think there are ways that you can test what the enemy is saying and, and hold it up against the truth. 
Um, it depends what you... I'd have to know specifics. Yeah, yeah. it was only a simple thing, because Dave was having to take the car over somewhere, and he said, if I didn't come, we could have gone out for the day, you know. And I didn't know, trying to sort of... Ah. Mm. Whether I should have actually. Uh, yeah. Yes. One thing I would say is... Um, you wouldn't normally say that, because no. you know it's a Tuesday. Yeah. I don't know about that particular no, instance. I don't know. But one thing I do know is that God is always clear in when he speaks to us. So um, I would have imagined that God might have said to you, Dave's got to take the car in. Why don't we go off for the day? Rather than as a sort of accusation, oh, if you hadn't gone there, we could have done this. I don't know. That's just a, my opinion. Yeah, it wasn't said like if you hadn't. It was... Oh. Okay. If you're not, you could do okay. Don't know. Because I've got two trips. I look. He had two yeah. trips otherwise. Okay. Don't know. Don't anyway, know. But I also know one other thing is, and that is, if the enemy can stop you looking at the Word of God, he will. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. there are all sorts of reasons. Yeah. And look around the room yeah. at people who are not here. It's not always easy, though, is it? No, of course it's not easy. But the thing is, if you don't know that's going on, you'll never recognise it. Because it will come at you in all sorts of different ways. And you won't see that as the work of the enemy. You'll see it as things you've got to do. I mean, let's, let's, to be honest, it's like the phone ringing. It's like the phone ringing. Mm -hmm. You know, what does Satan not want Rosemary to do? Yeah. To listen to the word of God. Yeah. To, to be in a peaceful place where you can discuss it. Now, I don't know, that might be something really urgent. I'm not trying to be... It's not Rosemary, it's any of us. You know... What does it do when my phone's ringing? When suddenly the house phone rings, when I'm in the middle of reading the word in the morning, or when my husband walks into the room and I'm trying to pray and read through the word and have my quiet time, and he walks into the room. It's not him that's the enemy. It's that the enemy is using every single thing in my life to stop me in, uh, um, continuing in my relationship with God through his word. Yeah. And that's true of all of us, mm. all the time. Because the one thing he doesn't want is for you to be strengthened by the word of God. Yeah. I was thinking about Spurgeon and Oswald Chambers the other day and the prolific amount of work that they churned yeah. out in a um, culture that wasn't so advanced technologically. No. They didn't have fast cars and mm. airplane and what have mm. you. And yet they did so much for the gospel. Mm. Where did they mm. find the time? Yeah. They look exactly the same as we have, yeah, and but yet they did it. Yeah, but they didn't have a lot of the distractions we have. So I think that the gospel was absolutely amazingly uh, preached and taught in their day because, because there wasn't all the distractions. No mobile phones, no TV, no, no internet. Um, I mean, that sucks the life out of my day if I let it. It will just take all my time. <coughs> Oh, my goodness, I have to be so careful because I'm sitting at my computer because I'm writing. Yes. So it's just such a battle to make myself stay in what I'm supposed to do. And that's the reality. Mm. So, um, okay, so uh, um, Zacharias, he, he makes this prophecy. His father was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, and then he said some things about... Um, about God. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, of David, his servant. So what are the things? He, he gives us four kind of really beautiful pictures of what 
um, God is uh, going to do through the coming of Jesus um, because he understands that his son is the forerunner for the Messiah. So what is God going to do through the coming of Jesus? Redemption. Yeah, redemption. He is going to accomplish redemption for his people. He's going to accomplish redemption. What does redeem mean? What does redemption mean? To buy, to buy by paying a price. Um, uh, and he amplifies it in, in later on, and he'll say it's the setting, setting uh, free of captives and um, people who are in bondage to sin and death. All of the New Testament will talk about that, this, this setting free, this liberation from sin and death by the redemption um, that is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians, First um, Peter, all the letters in the New Testament talk about the fact that we can't pay that price. Christ had to pay it for us and that he did. And that he did. And that you were set free. You were redeemed um, from this bondage to sin and to Satan. And uh, what else? What's the next thing he talks about? Salvation. What does salvation mean? Rescue. Rescue. It means deliverance. So he has delivered you from what? Sin. Sin and death and darkness and power of the enemy. He has delivered you from the kingdom of Satan and moved you into the kingdom of God. He did that deliverance by paying the price. So the redemption was paid. The redemption price was paid. And in that paying, he moved you from one place to another, from darkness to light, from death to life, from sin to sinner to saint. Just the comparisons and the contrasts are, are just amazing. And John uh, Zacharias is prophesying this that this coming Messiah is going to be the redeemer and the deliverer. Um, what is a horn? He's raised up a horn of salvation. What does a horn symbolize? In scripture, power. Yeah, it symbolizes power and victory. Power and victory. And um, so when he says he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. What's he actually saying? See, think about redemption. Think about redemption. He bought you from one place by his death and resurrection. But most people, uh, in fact, even some Christians, feel that that redemption was not final, that you have to keep on keeping on in him in order for him to be continuously redeeming you, and that if you don't, you can go back to the place you were before. <coughs> yeah, the Catholics believe that. That salvation is by grace through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, but that you have to be careful to keep going on, otherwise you're going to slip back into the kingdom of Satan, into death, into darkness. Now, what does the word for deliverance and salvation and the horn of salvation, what does that imply? If you looked up Old Testament passages, 1 Kings 22 and Psalm 89, what you're told is not only have you been redeemed from an enemy and set free, but your enemy is defeated. 
Therefore, he can never again take you back. See, it's not that you were only, only saved whilst you believed and when you were good. It's that you were saved for eternity because the price was paid forever. So, although sometimes you can think redemption and salvation, they're so similar, it's like, you know, but it's really important for us to see that in these words, just in the words, you know, you can, uh, th th when you redeem something from a, um, a pawn shop, you don't have pawn shops so much now, do you? Because everything's, you know, everything's you know, doesn't last any length of time. But if you used to take a watch into a, or a piece of jewellery into a pawn shop years ago when my mum was a child, mm -hmm. you could go and redeem it by buying it back, right? Mm -hmm. And then a year later, two years later, you could take it back in mm -hmm. if you needed the money again, and you could take it to the pawn shop, and then you'd have to redeem it all over again. Mm -hmm. And it's the same word, redeem. You'd still be redeeming it. But the Christian, the, the act that Christ did to redeem us was a once-for-all, cross-all-time redemption. So you can never be taken captive again by the enemy. And that's what uh, John is actually um, emphasizing here, that you have a deliverer and that his power and his victory is complete. Um, you want to say that to people? That's the truth of the gospel. That if you put your trust in this Christ, you are saved for eternity. That the enemy can never take you back. That he can never get hold of you again. The whole New Testament talks about it. Jesus will say, you're in my Father's hand and nothing can take you out of his hand. It is. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. It has to be true salvation. You have to actually have been redeemed by Christ. And uh, that's where the, it gets kind of murky sometimes because we can't really tell. Um, we can only know about ourselves, which is why it's, we're told to take the plank out of our own eyes before we try to take the splinter from someone else's. Um, but if your salvation is real then two things will happen. You will be transformed and you will know it's happening. You will know that you have the Spirit within you just as Mary knew she was carrying the Son of God because she went full term and gave birth to a baby. This wasn't an empty promise. So just as in the same way, if you have the Spirit of God, you know you have the Spirit because he witnesses to your Spirit that you are a child of God. The doubts come from the enemy. The enemy putting the arrows of doubt in and the uh, Ephesians 6 talks about, you know, hold up the shield of faith to t stop the flaming arrows of the evil one because he wants you to doubt your salvation. He wants you to doubt that your redemption was final and complete because if you do, you are powerless in the work of the, of the gospel. Anyway, you know that, don't you? So, um, yeah. So, uh, where did the Redeemer come from? And how did he fulfill? He came from the house of David, um, who was himself a great king and conqueror. 
Um, what had God previously promised about the Savior? Go back just to, from a few things you know from just previous studies. What do you know that the Savior had to be? Yeah, he had to be from the line of David. He had to be a Jew. Okay, what else? You know stuff. He had to be born in Bethlehem. He had to be born in Bethlehem. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't do spiritual here. <laughs> no. He, born in Bethlehem. He had to be of the family of David. He had to be of the tribe of Judah. He had to be a son of Abraham. These are all things that the, the Old Testament prophesied. Um, so how do Mary and Joseph fulfill the prophecy? Because he had to be of David's line. They were both of David's line. They were both of David's line. Mary, as a woman, would not have been included in the genealogy account because women's names are rarely in, in Israel's genealogies. But she was of that line. And Luke talks about that in his, uh, his gospel, and so does Matthew. Okay, what are the results of the victory of Christ? What does... Um, this is what we're looking at. Zacharias said, He has visited us and accomplished redemption, has raised up a horn of salvation for us, salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who um, hate us, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. What is to the, be the result of your redemption and salvation or deliverance? Service. Service. You are here to serve the one who saved you. You are here to serve Christ. That's the reason for our existence. Yes, it's loving service. Yes, it's full of blessing. Yes, it's, it's a wonderful salvation. But the result of it should result in service. What did he set you free for? Yeah, yeah. Did he set you free to have your own way and do your own thing? No. Go ahead, Alan. Something that may involve you. Oh my goodness! Be kind. We had to meet a new preacher from the Himalayas. Visited us, and I purchased business cards. Now, because this is done. Yeah, I know you did. Mm. And I made a present of <laughs> to this Indian. Did you? <laughs> now, I intend to encourage. And it means some prayer to bring this Indian along oh. to the 28th. Oh, praise God, Alan. What's his name? George. George. Oh, okay. Yes, that's all right, isn't it? Yes. Right. Oh, that'd be wonderful, Alan. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, praise God. Wonderful. 
It's all good news. It's all good news. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, I know. Oh, right. I've got those. I'm sure I've got those in the back of the wardrobe somewhere. <laughs> okay. So he had to be in this line. Mary and Joseph belong to this line. Um, the Redeemer, the promise of Redeemer and Saviour is all the way through the Old Testament, as you know. And the result <coughs> of his redemption for us is that we serve him. Um, what, uh, what else does um, Zacharias say? And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. So what has happened to you in your redemption because of the redemption of Christ? What's happened for you? Your sins are forgiven. Mm. And that, in, in, in the, the way that's written in the New Testament, is that there has been a cancelling of your debt. You owed God and you didn't fulfill. So you had a debt that you couldn't pay. But Christ paid it for you. That, yeah, hallelujah. That's why when, um, I mean, as I think I've said m many times before, if you had a debt in Israel and you managed to pay it off, then the, the authorities would come to your house and, and pin a notice on your door with a, a nail and it would say, a piece of paper, and it would say, Tetelestai, paid in full. And that's exactly what Christ cried out, paid in full, Tetelestai. Um, that debt has been paid. Your debt, my debt, everybody's debt has been paid. It is finished. Tetelestai. Um, um, it is finished. Tetelestai. The debt has been paid. Um, you can't hardly believe it, can you? You just want to cry that he paid the debt. I mean, you know. Phew. There was a huge debt in my case. So, okay, moving on. Um, and then he's uh, the last thing that he's going to say. So he's, 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 redemption has come. He's the redeemer. He's the savior. He is the one who has canceled the debt and uh, enabled us to come into the forgiveness of God. And it is the dawning of a new day because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It is the dawning of a new day. This new day that began with the proclamation of it through John the Baptist. Repent, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That new day was about to dawn in, um, in Israel. The people who lived in darkness, what does he say? And the shadow of death will see a great light. They will see a great light and they will be brought into life and peace through this, um, I mean, think of it. Zacharias hasn't said anything for nine months. He's not said a single word. <laughs> and then suddenly he says this. Well, you imagine that God 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, as Debbie kind of said, this is a kind of mixed blessing because both Elizabeth and Zacharias are told that their son is going to live separate. He's going to, you know, wear a kind of strange clothes and he's going to eat locusts. And so this is not what you want to hear about your well-prayed-for son. Yes. But he's still rejoicing. Why is Zacharias rejoicing? Because his son's not going to live a comfortable life and he knows it. And all of us, we want comfortable lives for our children. We want them to be happy and healthy and we want nothing to go wrong and, and we do our best to make that happen. Don't we? We do. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to do, impossible to do, but we do our best to do that mostly. And, and Zacharias knew up front that this was not going to be the life for his son. It was going to be a life of hardship, a life of isolation, a life of difficulty, and yet he praised God. Um, yes, because he wouldn't, because we believed that he didn't see that the mm. fulfillment, obviously, mm. of John's ministry. Yeah, yeah. Because of that age. Yeah. Mm. And John the Baptist himself, mm. what would John the Baptist have had to do? Yeah, he would have to make his own choice. Yes. It's all very well for his father to prophesy, but he had to make this choice. Yes, yes. Will he do what God is calling him to do? Yes. What he was actually born to do? That's quite interesting, because yeah. as a baby, he wouldn't have heard his father's voice. No, no. And you just said that probably his parents died quite soon after because he was, you know, they were old. So where did John get his knowledge of his... Mm. He, he, was not the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yes. Mm. The baby leapt in Elizabeth's womb. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mary. I've got my, my Bible that children and babies can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ah, okay. I think, anyway. Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to talk about that. But. And you said that he didn't hear his father prophesy, that he did hear his father prophesy, whether he understood. Oh, he heard the words, yeah. Yeah, I suppose, I mean, I... It's, it's not that I, I mean, obviously the baby leapt in the womb, so there is something going on. I'm not, I can't deny that. That's there and it's plain. Um, but the receiving of the Holy Spirit permanently, permanently, is a, is takes the work of God and our choice. Mm -hmm. We must choose to believe. Yes. And then God seals His own word by the giving of His Spirit mm -hmm. permanently. But that doesn't mean to say it didn't happen in the womb or didn't happen when He heard the prophecy. But I just think that, that actually we kind of take something away really from some of these people if we think it was all God. Okay, it was all God. He just took John and John lived this life. Yeah. And, but John had to make his own choices all the way through. He was just a man and he would have made choices. He, he, we know because he sent his disciples to Jesus saying, are you the expected one? Yes. Even though he'd already preached that. So th th he is a man, an ordinary man like each of us, and he was used mightily by God. Mm. And, um, mm. and I actually, because of course I've seen the, um, the movie, I was thinking about John going out as a sheep among wolves. I was just thinking about him. He went out as a sheep among wolves. And, um, yeah, and people like Simeon and Anna that we'll talk about next time, who had been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for this promise there in the temple. Can you imagine? Mm. 
suddenly seeing this baby and knowing that this is the promised Messiah. Just wonderful. So, it, today in our world then, do we need an angel? Do you need an angel to come and tell you what's going to happen? No. Would you like to see Gabriel standing beside you? Yes, yes. yes. I wouldn't mind it either, but are, do you think that's going to happen? No, why not? Well, I mean, it may happen, it may, but, but in the normal course of events, what's going to, what has God done for you that he hadn't done for Zacharias? Yeah, also... He has given us the complete word of God. We have both Old and New Testament. We have the complete revelation of God to mankind. We have that. Um, we've seen the Son. You've seen Jesus. You haven't seen him physically necessarily, but you've seen him through the word of God. And what have you received from him? Forgiveness. You've received, yeah, all of that redemption, forgiveness of sins, all of that deliverance. You've received abundant life. You've received abundant life. So, I mean, the question is, do you believe that? Do you? And if you do, how often do you sing songs like Mary? Mm-hmm. Yes. I was thinking about when we were going through her song, and mm-hmm. how often do we... Yeah. 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 Also having the word as a position cast. Yeah. I also watched this oh, yeah. little um, thing on YouTube about Tinder. Oh, yeah. It was a cartoon mm. thing that somebody's saying. So I don't quite like the animation. Mm. It kind mm. of brings it home. But yeah, I mean, the, the cost yeah. of those people, mm. a few hundred years ago, mm. if you're now land, mm. really. Definitely. Yeah. To be burnt at the stake. Yeah. And I just mm. can't imagine no. how horrifying that must be that they were prepared, and they went singing the songs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So we, you know, we, we had the word of God, but there again, that was, it was, a, always a cost. Yeah. 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 It was a cost. And yeah. that they paid a huge, a huge price. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, you know, I'm always saying, I, I think we are in the last of the last days. I actually really, I do believe that. But even if we're not, those people lived as if they were. They lived like this was the last time. They wanted to get the word out, get the word out, get the word out. And they were prepared to die to do that. And I mean, I think that's what I mean, you know, the satanic lullaby. How many people in this room would die to get the word out? We are, because we've been lulled to sleep by all the abundance, physical abundance that we've had. So this is not to put a guilt trip on you, this is on me, you know, when it's not even a guilt trip because God doesn't do that. But it is a wake-up, you know. Even if I'm wrong, even if we're not right at the door, it doesn't matter because I'm still to live as if he's coming any minute and to to be giving out the word of God. Well, that's what Jesus said, didn't he? Exactly. Yes, he did. He did. We um, said uh, before the summer that we were going to pray beforehand and pray afterwards um, f- just for a short time. And we prayed this morning. And um, so when you come in in the morning, um, there will be a few praying. And uh, if you can make it, that's great. If you don't want to, that's great. And now we're going to spend, a, you know, I don't know, five, ten minutes praying. You don't have to stay. If you need to go, you can go. If you would like to 
join with the prayer, that's fine. If you don't, go upstairs, make a cup of tea, whatever. But we're going to pray just a little bit now. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. So, Father, I want to thank you first for this morning, for, the, for your word, which is amazing, and for the way that it stirs us up. And each one of us will have heard something from you through your word this morning, Lord. And we're just so grateful for it. And, and help us to praise, Lord. Help us to praise the way Mary praised and to prophesy, really, the way John prophesied, to speak forth your word about redemption and deliverance and forgiveness and, and, and the abundant life that you've brought us into. Help us to speak forth without fear, Lord, and to be willing to pay the price or the... The great cost, as Linda said, that it's cost people who went before us that we might be able to sit here today and read the Bible in our own language. So we thank you for it all, Lord. We thank you that without you we would be nothing. We would be lost. But that you found us and um, have given us life and brought us into your kingdom. So we thank you for it, Lord, and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Oh, God, I just 